0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. And this morning we're looking in Psalms chapter 58, and we've been speaking about an autumn breeze in the Psalms. And the Lord has given me several passages to develop and think about and bring your way. And uh, we have one more message in this series next Sunday. And then the week after that is our annual Friend Day celebration. You will not want to miss it. Brother Jamie Rago will be here to bring the message. And uh, we've got several fun things at the end of the service for everybody. And so we hope that maybe you'll invite a friend to come with you. Uh, That's uh, Sunday after next. And uh, I pray that uh, it'll be a blessing to your heart. I'm going to be speaking today on this subject, David's Prayer. Of imprecation. I want you to think about that. It's going to be a little bit difficult. And so I'm going to ask you to pay close attention to what we're talking about today. All of these messages that we are bringing in this Psalms series, I believe, is definitely applicable to your everyday life living. But I'm going to read this morning in Psalms 58, verses 1 through 11. They'll get these scriptures on the screen. So I want you to look with me now, follow along with me. Try to apply yourself to the thought of the Scripture and uh, let it bless your heart this morning. In Psalms 58, beginning with verse number 11, Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Yea, in heart, ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear. Which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, Let them be as cut in pieces. Now, as I'm reading this, it's important that you not lose your train of thought because David is speaking, he's praying some very violent things, beginning basically in verse number 6. And the pattern of that prayer continues to intensify. And so again, verse 7, let them melt away as waters which run continually When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces, as a snail. Let every one of them pass like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as the whirlwind, or as with the whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. And very quickly, let me give you a little background to this psalm this morning. Because it's called a mitchdom of David and i understand that that is a word that most everyone in here is not familiar with and that's one of the things that i have gleaned from in this particular series is that i believe that we have been able to bring to the table of the lord some fresh fruit of the word and perhaps teach you some things that you've never heard before or maybe We've been able to explain some things in depth that you've not realized or picked up on, but this is a mitchdom of David. And that simply means that this is known as one of his golden psalms. That's what that word means. And the root of that word mitchdom, it involves the word engraving. Now as I put this puzzle together for you, I do realize that on a rainy, cloudy Sunday morning like this and a lot of stuff going on in your world, it's going to be easy to daydream and I have taken that into consideration as well. But in order for you to get the meat of God's Word today, you have to stay with me. So try your ever best to do that. This is talking about an engraving of some sort, and perhaps this particular psalm was engraved on a column in David's vicinity. Maybe maybe David carved this psalm on the wall of the cave where he was hiding from Saul, because you see, David had just received word that Saul had labeled him as a traitor. And Saul was spreading horrific lies about David, and the heartache about that is that many people were believing the things that Saul and others were saying about David. David was outraged with it. He was overwhelmed about the corruptness that was going on in the kingdom of Saul. Even the judges in Saul's court were going around and they were spreading lies about David as well. And so David was outraged and begins this prayer of imprecation. And that means this David was so overwhelmed and outraged, he was so broken in anger in spirit that he began to pray a prayer where he asked God to bring swift and harsh judgment upon these evildoers. And he prayed this prayer with all fervency. Do you have anything in your life that causes you from time to time to just grit your teeth? I mean, just grit your teeth. Now you think about it just for a moment. Like when you're driving, do people on the road agitate you? I don't know, but it seems like that most of the red lights I pull up to, there, there is—I don't know if they still call them boom boxes—but, but I'm unfortunately behind or beside the guy that's got one that's about ten levels way beyond hearing impaired. I, I have hearing aids, and my hearing aids and my ears vibrate. I don't know that. That sometimes I, I'll put it in a spiritual sense for you. It agitates me a little bit. Because when when that kind of thing happens, you begin to think things that are not productive. They don't help you. Maybe you try to grit your teeth and quickly try. I mean, you think about it. When when all of that is happening, and I got to be somewhere, and I got things to do, I got things on my mind, and that, that ruckus is playing beside me. You know, and you, you grit your teeth and you're thinking things you ought not be thinking. And then you try to quickly find that praise and worship channel on the radio. <coughs> but none of it's working out. I don't know, maybe, maybe on the other hand, and another emotion of that, maybe you grit your teeth when your team is down by two, there are three seconds left on the clock, and you're in a field goal range. Well, you can grit your teeth in that kind of circumstance, too. I've been there. But when I read this psalm, it's almost as if I can see David gritting his teeth. And he's not doing it in a casual or a light display of an emotion. This man is completely broken, and he's overwhelmed. He's he's highly agitated, and this agitate mode that he's in, it has brought him to a level of anger almost beyond his ability to control it. He is so emotionally captivated by what's going on around him because Saul is spreading lies about him. Saul is after his life. Saul has labeled him as a rebel and a traitor, but it's not just Saul. Saul has also convinced his judges in his government to turn against David. And it's not just the people in the government. It's Saul, the people in the government, but Saul has also been very clever at turning the majority of the people against David as well. And so David is completely overwhelmed in this particular psalm. And I want to tell you that this is not one of the pretty scriptures of the Bible. I want you to look at these words again in Psalms 58, verses 6 through 9. He's saying in this overwhelming despondency that he's in, he's saying, Oh, God, he said, break their teeth. We talked about that a little bit in Sermon 3. Oh, God, break their teeth in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. As a snail which melted, let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. And so when you read a passage like this, coming from a person that you know the Scripture says was a man after God's own heart, when you read a passage like this and you, and you put yourself in this dilemma that's, that David is in and he's beginning to pray these, these violent words and he's asking Jehovah God to run to his rescue but not lead him beside green pastures He's asking God, I need you to show up, God, in wrath and vengeance, and I want you to whip the living daylights out of these people, and I want you to do it in a violent way. And somebody might read the Scripture and say, wow, that's that's terrible. That's awful. Or that's not very God-like. Why would would a man after God's own heart pray those kind of words? What's wrong with David? How how could somebody that claims to follow God pray such a violent prayer like this? Well, you may be surprised to know, but there are some pastors who say that because of scriptures like this, that we should, in modern times, we should just completely unhitch ourselves to the Old Testament. But I wholeheartedly disagree with that because the point is, none of the scriptures should ever be omitted for our convenience. Here's what we should always remember, that everything about the Bible reveals the true character of God. I personally believe that it's impossible to fully understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. What we have in our hands this morning is the eternal story of God from cover to cover. And when we look at passages like this, and there are many in the Bible that are difficult to read and difficult to understand how God would permit such a thing, we have to always ask this question, how do I see God in this particular chapter? How do I see his character in these verses? Now, let me also say that this is a most Difficult prayer of David to understand for many reasons. I mean, there are difficult prayers, by the way, to understand in the New Testament as well. This one right here surely brings us to a place of how could David pray such a prayer. But it's not just an Old Testament thing. I want to show you, John prayed the same kind of prayer that David prayed in this passage in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 10 when he said these words to God, and they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And so we should know, all of us, that God definitely has a reserved day of judgment. That's not in question And we all know that when God unleashes his judgment and his wrath upon this earth, it will be poured out on the wicked and it will be done in a most violent way. But thank God, those who are covered and redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, we will not be the recipients of that wrath. There's one scripture that I added to this outline this morning, and they don't have it in the back. But I'd like for you, if you're writing in your Bible or you're writing on the outline, make a notation of this one scripture in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9. This is a good place to insert this scripture. The apostle Paul said, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And thank God, as believers, we will be spared, we will be saved from the wrath, the violent wrath of God that will be unleashed on this wicked world. So when we read passages like this in the psalm, and because of God's wrath to come, we have to firmly get in our mind this, that God is not kind of holy. He's not halfway holy, or he's not holy on days that he wants to be holy. But you have to remember this. God is always holy. And his holiness supersedes and overshadows every single thing about us. Scriptures like this helps us to be reminded of the very mission of God to begin with. Why he sent Jesus. Because in the very beginning, God did not intend for things to be this way. But because sin intruded on his creation God has to deal with it. And in this particular psalm, David has three different audiences that he's speaking to. As he's writing and he's switching back and forth between a couple of them, but let me show you what I mean. He first addresses the wicked in this passage. Then he addresses the reader and he gives more information about the wicked. And then he turns to God and he asks God to intervene. And so then he goes back to the reader. I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 again in Psalms 58. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. And so after reading these verses, if you haven't seen it by now, David is firmly gritting his teeth. He's firmly agitated, and as I read, I can tell he's swelling with anger. He's disturbed at the wicked, and he's infuriated at the people who are in a position of power, who are distorting and corrupting justice and truth. People who are using their position to step on the heads of the righteous and the innocent. Now, you may not be aware, but listen carefully. But in the minor prophets of the scripture, they also write about these particular things. By the way, there are 12 minor prophets in the word, and there are four major prophets. And the difference in them, for example, is in the length of the book and certainly not the significance. But the minor prophets speak about the issues in this passage that David is talking about. And I want to share with you four things we learn from David's prayer. Number one, if you're following along with me this morning, I want you to learn and notice the character of God demands holiness and justice for his people. There is a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Amos that says this in chapter 2, verse number 6, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Many times, corrupt judges were paid cheap brides to execute judgment against the righteous. In this passage, we have a reminder that God's people were often sold into slavery and given lifetimes of punishments. And because of that, God said in his word, he said, because your hearts are so corrupt and your hearts are so wicked and because you practice so many injustices, he said, I cannot accept any form or any kind of worship from you because God's holiness, his character demands holiness And so David now turns his attention to the reader, and he writes this in verses 3 through 5. He says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. And I think that David is describing a very dark point, not just for the passage and not just for the people that he's writing to of his day, but in all actuality, David is describing a very dark point for most of us, many of us today. It's something that we do not want to acknowledge, but I think coming from God's word this morning, we all need to perk up and give heed to it. Because I believe he's talking about the point where we go on sinning. That God, before his holiness, we go on sinning. That ultimately, we shut his voice out. If we're not careful, we all can find ourselves in that spot. Where we know the difference between right and wrong. And we know when God speaks, if we are a believer. And when he speaks, we continue to go on sinning and shut his voice completely off. We shut the Holy Spirit out where we no longer, yes, as a believer, where we no longer want to hear him speak, where we no longer want to hear what he has to say. And I caution you today because when that happens, it will affect how we change the character of our living. As a believer, if we know the difference between right and wrong, and we know God's word or God's spirit is convicting our hearts of the wrong where we're at, and we choose to shut out the voice of God, And not give heed to the voice of God I promise you that when we get in a state like this it will change the character of who you are and if we get to that place and there's probably been moments in our lives where we have been dangerously close to that point or that place This is what we need to realize. If that happens in our life, if we allow ourselves to get that low, and we're saying, Yes, God, I know this is wrong, but you know what? I'm getting too much fun and too much pleasure out of this. I know it's wrong, and I know I ought not to do it. And when I finish doing it, I'll ask you to forgive me. But, God, it's something that I just can't stop. I hear you, I know it's right. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to continue to do it anyway. Tell your Holy Spirit to be quiet. I don't want to hear him anymore. God, quit talking to me about this. I don't want to hear you anymore. You know what? When we get to a place like that, if we're not careful, God may just say, okay, if you don't want to listen to me, if you don't want to listen to my spirit, then I'm going to stop talking to you. And we all need to know that that's a very dangerous place and a situation to be in. I think that most of us, in a very simple state, would say, when God's Word begins to speak to us and His Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, And the power of God begins to speak to us. And he's saying, this is wrong. This is not right. You need to stop. If you don't stop, you're in a very dangerous place. And if you continue, you're going to fall off a cliff that you cannot be retrieved from. Most of us would say, God Almighty, thank you, Holy Spirit, for warning me. The pleasures of sin for a season is not worth that cliff that I cannot be retrieved. God, in Jesus' name, thank you for talking to me. But I will tell you that ignoring him has serious consequences. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So again, that's a very dangerous place to be, very dangerous. Paul explains the catastrophic result when we shut off the voice of God in our lives and say, I do not want to listen to you, Holy Spirit. Some of us may be very close to that place today, dangerously close to the place where the Spirit of God is just about ready to say, okay, fine, you do it anyway." Where God lifts the restraint of His Holy Spirit and says, I'm going to turn you over to the depraved mind that you're chasing. What we have to be reminded of is this number two, is that sin continuously deceives our heart away from God. Sin always has a way to move us one step away at a time from His voice. You see, If we're not careful, we're going to get ourselves so caught up in sin that we're not even capable of seeing the dangers anymore. We're just wandering through life like a a blind man with no sense. All the while, as a professing believer, we, we claim to know the Spirit of God. But when we shut him off too many times, we are dangerously close of him saying, Have Your Way, where he quits warning us about the cliff. I was reading a story several years ago about a king in a far distant land. And through his many travels, he found the love of his life. She herself lived in a far distant land. And he wanted to bring her to his palace. He wanted to make her his queen. And so he began to call in some of the most gifted and talented people in his kingdom who could drive a chariot at long distances. And the king said to these people that he was interviewing for the job because he knew that the the road to go get her was very treacherous, very dangerous. Not only was it far, it was going to take a lot of endurance. But the road was rocky, and in several places, there were sharp cliffs and turns along the way. And so the king, he had sent out a proclamation, and he said to these particular men who were interviewing for the job, he began to tell a story. She lives in a far distant land. The road is going to take a lot of endurance, and there are some treacherous places in the journey and the king said to the first one, he finally narrowed it down to three drivers. He called in the first one and he said, sir, give me your credentials and tell me how talented you are driving a team of horses and to bring a chariot across a vast and vigorous land. And he began to say all of his credentials. And the king said, I have one question for you, sir. He said, I want to know how far you can take that team of horses around the bend How close you can come to the edge of that cliff without being reckless and fall off. And the man chuckled and said, Sir, in all due respect, I've been doing this all of my life. He said, I can take the team of horses in that chariot around that curve so fast. And he said, I can come within a foot. I can control those horses within a foot of going off of that cliff And he said, I can do it with great skill. I've been doing it all my life. I will not let you down. And he said, thank you, son. And he called in driver two, and he said, now tell me your credentials. And he told him about the same story. The king said his thing about the sharp turns, the vigorous journey. And the man also chuckled, and he said, sir, I heard what he said. But I have a few more years of experience than him. And with all due respect, sir, I can take that team of horses around the curve of that bend. And he said, with great skill and with great talent, he said, with great control, he said, I can take that team of horses around that bend and I can come within six inches of that cliff. And he said, I can handle it. He said, there will not be a rock turned over. He said, I'm very skillful. He said, but you can count on me. I will take it within six inches with full control. And the king said, thank you, son. And he called in driver three. And he said, sir, tell me your credentials. And he said, you know what, sir? He said, I've heard these two guys speak. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't have that much experience. And the king said, well, but this is the love of my life. This is my soulmate and I've got to find somebody to go get her. The road is vigorous and treacherous. And he said, there's one particular place where the cliff is steep. I want to know how far you can take this team of horses around the bend without falling off. This guy didn't chuckle. He put his head down. He said, sir, I don't have that experience, but I promise you this one thing. If you send me on this mission to get your bride, he said, I'm going to stay as far away from that cliff as I possibly can. And the king said, go get her. Sometimes we live our lives at such a fast pace, and we think, we think we can come up to the edge. We can come up to the line. And all of a sudden, when we're ready, oh, we can back off. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Fill me with your spirit, God. And then the next time we come just a little bit closer and closer and closer, I will tell you, you will get so far into this that you will not be able to see the dangers of the cliff. And you'll get yourself in a place where you cannot be retrieved. Sin constantly deceives our heart away from God. David's describing a person who has completely turned his voice away from the Lord. And so he's asking God, he is saying this, God, these people have have wrecked my life. They have overwhelmed me. They have said these things are out for my life. Saul's chasing me down. And so he is saying this, God, I'm just at a place where I cannot I cannot do this anymore. He said, I'm at my breaking point. So he's saying, God, I need you to show up. I need you to do it in a violent way. Let me, let me ask you something this morning as we're talking about this. And think about this. If you're living your life at such a fast and dangerous place and pace, would you really know the voice of the Holy Spirit? I mean, would you really, really know? Because in John 10:27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. David prays. He says, God, shatter their teeth and their mouth. Step in, oh God, against the behavior of the unrighteous and he's asking God to do it in a most violent Horrendous way. And in verse six and eight again, he says, break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Verse 7, let them melt away as waters. Verse 8, as a snail which melteth. I believe David's writing from the tragedy of a broken experience. Number three, and quickly, when God's righteousness intersects with the sin of man, the only option God has is wrath. The only option. In verse 7 and 9, let them melt away as waters which run continually. Verse 8, as a snail which melteth. Number 9, before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as a whirlwind. And so God's righteousness demands all sin to be defeated. I think in order for us to understand this, we have to stop and think about God's original intent for creation. And it was that we would know him and that we would enjoy him and worship him forever. It was that in every part of us, we would walk with him daily in a very intimate way. However, you know the story, sin was an intrusion to all of that. And so please listen carefully this morning. Sin doesn't just cause us to act differently. Sin causes us to be different than what God intended for us to be. And can you imagine what a mother of a young child feels in her heart? If she were told by a doctor that her young child has a terminal disease and that that child only had a short time to live, that mother would instantly hate that disease for destroying the life of her child. And if you can comprehend this, God hates sin. Because of what it's done to his children, in Romans eight twenty-eight, the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and who are the called according to His purpose. God had to pour His wrath out on sin; He could not tolerate it, and He did it through Jesus. Let me share with you something from the Old Testament here, if you'll hang with me just a few more minutes. It goes all the way back to the days of Hezekiah. I'm going to show you something in God's Word. Because Hezekiah, he became king somewhere between the age of 18 and 19 years old, and he was thrown into a terrible position. He, he loved God, and he followed God, and he wanted to make reforms among all of the people. But in order to do that, he had to cast down and destroy things that even his own father had set up. And then let me fast forward this about 14 or 15 years. In his late 20s, when we're all full of wisdom, right? The Assyrian army had come to him, and they are besieging his city. And the king of Assyria, he begins to taunt Hezekiah, and he says this in Second Kings 18, verse 28 and 31. They'll get him quickly on the screen for you. Then Rabshakeh the stood and cried with a loud voice in the, in the Jews' language and spake saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand, neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord shall surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not unto Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, And then, eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern. Now look at this carefully. The wicked is calling for the righteous to come out to him. That's what this is about. The wicked is saying, hey, come out to me. Keep in mind they were wicked and violent people. They were barbarians. In verse 32, until I come and take you away. Into a land like your own, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and honey, that ye may live and not die, and hearken not unto Hezekiah. When he persuaded you, saying, the Lord will deliver us, they said, listen, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to call out to God, but listen, don't pay that any mind. Don't give him any attention. They said, listen, we're going to give you farms. We're going to feed you well. We'll give you everything that you need, but do not listen to Hezekiah. And in verse 33 and 35, hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphim and Ivah? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of my hand? The Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Now, here's a picture of the wicked standing outside the gates of of Israel, and they're taunting the people of God. And when you read the Psalms that we're looking at today, David's crying out and saying, Save me, O God, save me. And it's the same kind of scenario that we read here in this passage in 2 Kings. It's the same thing. Hezekiah finds himself now crying out to the Lord. He's, he's actually renting his clothes. And in a mighty way, God answers him in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 32. Thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast bank against it. And look how God responds to this. In verse 35, and it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians. Look at this. This is very important. A 104 fourscore and 5,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all, every one of them, all dead corpses. Now in a passage like this in the Psalms, perhaps someone is tempted to have sympathy for the wicked. My goodness. Maybe there would be even somebody that would call God's character into judgment. One may say, come on now, 185,000 people seems to be quite drastic. There are those who might even say that God took that thing a little bit too far. God shouldn't have done that. But in the story, if we place ourselves outside of those city walls and not on the inside, then that would make us enemies of God. And look what Romans 5:10 says for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life and this is how we all were at some point in our life every one of us we were all types of the Assyrian king we were all taunting at one time the righteous in our lives but thank God Jesus came to us and lastly number 4 and I'll call for the musicians to come forward. I want you to see David's confidence in God's judgment. David's confidence in God's judgment in Psalms 58, verse 9 through 11. Before your pots, this is is interesting. This, This intrigued me when I studied it. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as a whirlwind, both living and in wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet, look at this, in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges the earth. David considered how quickly a bunch of dried thorns would burn up under a hot cooking pot. He is saying, God, you can do this, and you can do it so violently. You can do it so harsh, and you can do it in the blink of an eye. And he begins to praise God because he knew God's judgment would come upon his enemies as quick as a flash of fire. And David wanted everyone to see that there was a moral order under God's righteousness, where righteousness is rewarded and wickedness is judged. Let this be a reminder, and I want to close with this passage. God's righteousness and his holiness will not tolerate sin. It has to be judged. It has to be dealt with. And if we continue to say no to the Holy Spirit, don't bother me, don't speak to me, what I'm doing, God, this is nothing. Nothing, Lord, but well, there are those out here that are selling themselves and selling drugs and killing people and smuggling people and robbing banks and stealing cars. god this this thing, oh, don't waste your time lord this is- this is so insignificant. I know you know, I get it, you get it. I shouldn't be doing this, but God. There are so many people doing so many other terrible things. I will tell you, God's holiness and righteousness demands the payment for sin. And we have to be careful because if we keep saying no to the sympathizing voice of the Holy Spirit, going to get ourselves in such a place, we cannot see the irretrievable place of the cliff. But when we listen and we say, yes, God, I know you cannot tolerate sin. I know that sin had to be dealt with, and sin is what sent your son to the cross. It made payment. It made atonement for me, for the world. And God, no matter how low I get in life, if I'm willing to listen and to submit myself to you, I know that I can find healing. I know that I can find forgiveness. And let me tell you this, I leave you with one passage this morning. In Psalms 37, verse 25, David said this, out of many years of experience, he said, I have been young and am now old. Yet, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. What's your point, preacher? God's faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to me. He's faithful to you. You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.